Franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with a business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Welcome to episode 46 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, and this is my colleague, Sarah Wasco. We created this podcast to bring you education and information about entrepreneurship and all things franchising. And speaking of franchising, today we have a guest that is a local crusher franchisee. We're welcoming Alfred Hodge, and he's also, I want to make sure I get this right, a portfolio manager in his family investments. So welcome, Al. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, so appreciate it. This is a great uh, opportunity to get to know you a little bit more and share a little story about franchising and, uh, and how I ended up here. Yeah, we're going to get to all of that, and we appreciate you taking the time out. So to get started, you know, everybody has a story. That's why we call this Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Most of us never imagined that we would end up in this world of franchising. So what what's your background, and kind of tell us what your professional experience was, and then we'll get into how you found franchising. Sure. So a very different background. I actually um, studied engineering, and uh, my first job uh, out of school was running a manufacturing plant. So... Uh, that's how I started my career, my professional career. Um, then after being in manufacturing for a few years, I went to work for Walmart in logistics. Did, um, I was an industrial engineer um, and doing a lot of optimizations and distribution network, which is a lot of fun. Learned a lot and great culture and learned about execution and performance. Then uh, with Walmart, I actually went to the operational side from project management and uh, helped to start up a new facility in Ottawa, Kansas. Uh, large facilities, these are 1.2 million square foot facility. They employ over 1,200 wow. people. So we built the facility up from ground up and I was part of the team um, and uh, operated that, was responsible ultimately for 300 people. Uh, at that point, I was actually about 24 years old. I was very young. Wow. Uh, yeah. I started very early, and I loved management, working with people. That was something that I always enjoyed. And then I got recruited, and I went for I worked for Nike. And Nike is just a real fancy and different culture, um, very successful business. And uh, I ended up to be a uh, distribution manager. At that point, I... Moved up from 300 people to 2,000. Wow. So uh, a lot of uh, uh, people to manage and a lot of issues to address and a lot of opportunities to learn. Uh, and I was with Nike for a while. Um, I actually started up a 300,000 square foot facility when I was with them. Uh, made it very successful. That was one of the um, visions that Nike at that point felt not had for just-in-time fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So um, left Nike, I got recruited and completely changed, moved from industrial pro uh, consumer products to industrial products. I went to work for a company called Thomas & Betts, um, no, which is owned by ABB. Uh, they're a big electrical uh, manufacturing business globally. 
Um, and I, um, I was a general manager for a um, million plus distribution center. And I um, was managing at that point a thousand people. Um, so from there, moved up to uh, Thomas and Betts was a great career. I uh, grew from a general manager to a director of distribution logistics. And then I moved up to a VP of global distribution services where I actually uh, dealt with a lot of the infrastructure and the movement of the product from Asia to uh, Middle East, to Europe, to wow. United States and uh, different cultures, different time zones, uh, terrific experience. Um, I um, I would say that part of my growth, career growth, uh, a significant part of it was related to Thomas and Betts mm. and working for Thomas and Betts. Great people, great leaders, great CEO. My boss was terrific. So, and then uh, went to grad school and uh, got a bit of an education, and then I uh, completely changed direction, went to private equity side. So this was a time that in um, private equity was growing significantly. So um, I went for, uh, to work for a company in Cincinnati, um, and I was the head of auto operations. So I procured about $300 million worth of products out of Asia. I had manufacturing facilities in the U.S., the end-to-end supply chain movements, uh, product development, and product de- um, manufacturing. So it was, it was terrific. Great. Learned a lot, did a lot, understood the um, private equity model, which is very mm-hmm. different than you know regular business, public, or private firms. Um, and then from there on, I moved into really doing quite a bit of consulting <laughs> on the private equity side. So I really learned... Uh, more of the uh, from the beginning of the investment cycle, how the private equity firms they look at businesses, how do they review it, how do they evaluate whether it's a good investment or not, what are the things that they look for, all the way through when they go through the analysis um, of whether it's a uh, what can they do with the inv- uh, investment, can they grow it, can they do an add-on, is that more of a platform business or an add-on business? And all the way through getting involved with the portfolio company and actually operating them. So with that, I ended up running a, became a CEO and run a, um, a regional electrical distribution business, industrial products. Mm. What I was looking for is opportunity to invest. So when I was very young, um, I, um, while I was working, I started getting involved with real estate. And um, I um, started buying properties and uh, refurbished them. And I had to build a crew that would go in and rebuild or remodel. And some of them we put up for rent and some of them we um, actually sold. So back then I created a more of a family business back. And we started making a lot of investments. And backing up a little bit, yeah. you... you- said to me, you were young and you really didn't know what you were doing and you asked a lot of questions. So you had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. You wanted to invest. So you kind of taught yourself that business, right? That's right. Because that's scary for a lot of us. It's like, that sounds like a cool thing to do to buy properties and fix them up and sell them or rent them out. But most of us don't invest the time to learn how to do that. And you did that. You taught yourself. Yep. I, most of the things that I've been involved in businesses, even understanding in PNL, it's something that I've thought to myself. I, I felt that, hey, if I want to grow, if I want to learn, I want to um, really understand things better, then that's something that I have to put the effort and the time to do that. And uh, and that's what I did. So I talked to a lot of people. I gathered information. I put a lot of 
uh, thought process into it and uh, did some research and um, then it started. And I got my, you know, I, we started the first property, got that, and then moved on to the second. Hey, this is a good idea. Three, four, five. At one point, uh, we were managing 17 different properties. Wow. We built it up, and then we get into commercial side. So you were doing this alongside your employment oh, and yes. all of that. Okay, so you've always yeah. been had a diversified income stream. Yes, I think that's really critical because uh, when you are an executive or you work for different organizations, there are uh, pros and cons to it. There's always a risk, and there's always a benefit right the security of element is is terrific right and uh when you're stepping out and you're trying to invest there's a lot of uh risk that is involved to it so a lot of people don't want to take that step because they are secure they have a family to support they have themselves to support and it's really a scary thought that you you don't know where your um paycheck is going to come from so a lot of people avoid that for me i i just I love business. I mean, since I was a little kid, I love business. And it was really getting involved in learning things. Um, and that's why real estate was always a um, interest for me. So that's why I got into real estate. Was um, your family involved in real estate? No. Like, okay. Not at all. Not awesome. at all. I, it was me. I, I actually, uh, a, a great story how I got into real estate. Uh, one of my old bosses, when I was at Thomson Bats, told me to read, uh, to read this book called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I had <laughs> yeah. a facility in uh, Reno, Nevada, and I flew from Memphis. I got the book at the airport, and I read it all the way through, half of it when I got there, and I read it uh, when I flew back. And uh, the following week, I started making phone calls, getting a hold of a broker. Wow. And then... Uh, 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 then I start calling the financial institutions, the banks, and all that, figuring out how to get loans. And um, I, okay, let's do it. So I went and, you know, invested in the first one. Wow. And that's how I grew. I really liked it. And um, I wasn't really interested to, you know, put shoot rocks on. That's not what I really do. But it's it's more of what value do I see in this? Is it is a good thing? Is, is there value to it? Um, and uh, how can you really make a business out of it? So you have to try and test things out and do it cautiously and wisely and you know, uh, run some numbers and understand what impact is going to be. And you take a look at, okay, if this doesn't work, what do I do? You know, what is the damage? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, what's the worst thing that can happen? That's right. right. So that's how I got involved with it. I was young and I was brave too and <laughs> didn't have a lot of responsibilities. Okay, so. so did you have a family at that time? No. Okay. No. I no, I was I was single um and I was working and my, I was spending most of my time on the planes going from facility to facility, sleeping in the hotels and at the same time when I came back on uh, you know, on Fridays or on the weekends. I was trying to figure out what to do with all these properties. Uh, <laughs> then oh, I wow. realized it's not, I can't do it. I got to get people to do this kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like any other business. It's not, you know, people think about, oh, I don't want to own a rental business because I got to worry about my tenant call me and, and tell me to replace the light. Well, that's not what you do. You don't worry about that. You, you get people who know how to do things uh, and, and that's the part I like about that in management is hiring the people to do the things that, you know, that you don't need to do. Yep. And, and and that's that's how you create a good business. So that's what, you know, I, I got involved. I did that and just keep adding on one by one, one by one. And 
Well, and, uh, and going into the franchising thing, you weren't initially looking for a business for yourself. So you, mm-hmm. when you and I first started speaking, <laughs> you were looking for something for your daughter and for your wife yeah, to get right. involved uh, with. And then next thing you know, Al's taking over and deciding he wants a business. <laughs> well, <laughs> great story. Yeah, yeah. So this is a really, uh, a really a, um, nice story to actually um, as an entrepreneur. So I was, um, I was actually running a company. And I always thought about, you know, I want to build something. So we built the real estate thing. We always look at opportunities. I've done startups before, uh, different businesses. Um, most of them have been in consumer one one on the consumer side one on the b2b side mm-hmm. so we built a company from ground up we procured stuff from um asia and india and we supplied uh, different regions um of the world not in the u.s but it's europe and middle east um so i always have a i want to do something more so i thought maybe that's a great opportunity to to build that for the family as well but diversify the portfolio my my daughter's um, um, going to SMU. She's going to graduate, so I thought I got to keep her busy um, and teach her entrepreneurship. Age, right? <laughs> yeah. So we start looking. Um, me and Holly, we start looking for different businesses that things that you know interest. Um, uh, what what interests her is very different than what interests right. me or Holly. So I look at things more on the industrial and uh, perspective. They're, they're really focused on retail perspective. They're they're really um, like retail a lot. So and fashionista and fashion. That's exactly what yeah. she's studying. So is right? that what you guys started looking at? Was retail businesses? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we had more of the consumer products uh-huh. when I reached out to uh, Roxanne um, and others uh, frankly i wasn't sure how the franchise system worked one of my friends from california who actually works for um um amd and he's a super engineer right very technical you know he was thinking about hey i want to diversify um my future and i want to add in he was looking at the mcdonald's and different things like that so and you know we um that was like a conversation from three four years ago five years ago actually um, so it was always in my mind. So I want to build something for the family and we keep a portfolio of investments. So whether a little bit of real estate, a little bit of, of uh, consumer stuff, a little bit of other investments that we have, stocks and things like that, it's always um, good to diversify it. Mm-hmm. So wanted to get at something for, uh, for her, uh, something that she can enjoy and really, um, you know, um, put her effort and time in developing it. So um, we looked at, so when I reached out, um, I wasn't sure about franchising, but I knew that there were a lot of businesses out there that are very consumer-driven, fashion-driven. So we were doing research. So we looked at multiple different businesses, and Roxanne was local, so we, we connected. And she gave us a questionnaire, and you answer the questionnaires, and she'll help you find out what's really you like and what you want. And she develop a, a portfolio of different companies that might be an interest. So we look at things, and we found one that she she liked, and we start digging into it. So we did a lot of research, and uh, Crusher was one of the um, items. I really didn't pay attention to it. And then, um, then uh, I don't know what triggered, but we, we had more conversations. And actually, it was Roxanne. She said, hey, I think you really need to look at this thing. It doesn't hurt. You know, you're investing your time just to look into it. 
So um, I started digging into it and really understanding what it really meant. And it made sense to me. And the reason is when I was running P&Ls for manufacturing my businesses, there's always that P&L line that it was all, that you have to deal with your packages. You know, it's your pallets and your plastics and cardboards and you might have plastics and whatever it is that you produce. It's your manufacturing residue after you process. And they have to go somewhere. And that technology has never changed. Um, and it costs and money to it put it. It's a lot a of money. A lot of right. money. I mean, you will be amazed. It was a big number on a PNL, and I had to deal with it constantly. So it made sense to me that well, you know that that if you provide a solution, and it hurts a lot of productivity. So what happens a lot of these businesses? They produce stuff, move stuff. There's constant moving of the products. And you got all this packaging material that it's residue from movement of the products and material handling. Um, so you got to push it somewhere. And what happens, your, um, your dock gets backed up and your manufacturing space now, valuable, expensive manufacturing space is, is uh, filled with stored stuff that you can't do anything with. So that's why we used uh, this concept, made sense to me. It's like, Hey, you push it out, you compact it. It's really more of a compaction process. And, and it's it's a mobile compaction. So you throw this stuff in a storage bin, theoretically, it's a big storage bin, and then you compact it, and then you can add more to it. One unit costs so much, and in replacement of that unit versus you, in a very efficient, methodical way, you compact it. It's a huge savings for the businesses. It, most of our clients... Um, save about 40 to 50% on an annual basis. We've had customers that save over $50,000 a year, wow. right? This is not um, nickel and dimes, this is a serious money. And then um, it actually helps the environment because you eliminate CO2 that you're releasing into the air. Plus, you know, all this stuff gets compacted. It really helps the effective of storage and environment. So um, it made sense to me, it was a good thing. Um, did more research, and I felt it was a good investment. So um, met a couple of people um, that I really liked, that I've worked with before, and we felt that it was a good thing to get into it. And so we, we did the investment, we got into it, and we were, we we're growing it. So I don't do, drive the truck, and you don't want me to drive a truck. <laughs> good point. I'm glad you pointed that yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> so, but... It's, uh, but we have great people that help us on a day to day. And that was one thing that I, um, that I've learned through my life and my career. It's like, you got to surround yourself with best people, very smart people who are really good at what they do. And we share information. Uh, we, we, we talk about stuff and it's, um, it's proven to be a very good, um, thing so far. I really like what you said. That's really one of my key, uh, thought processes and what I do is surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. That's right. Yeah. And, and focus on what you're good at and let them focus on what they're good at. And as you said, you share ideas and work mm -hmm. together and uh, that's, that's how you grow a business. That's right. I, I think uh, there are, you know, we focus on three things. Um, every, everything I've done, the three things are always really important. Number one is really safety. 
Um, you know, we drive trucks, we go to different locations, there's movement. So uh, there's absolutely no reason to hurt, you know, take a chance of hurting yourself or anybody else. Mm-hmm. You, we just don't take that chance. It's not, um, it just doesn't even uh, go with what we think or how we do things. So we, we talk about safety um, are, uh, on a very, very um, occasional basis, daily basis, I would say. And then uh, anything that second thing, in, in any businesses that have been the same thing, whether you're manufacturing products, your hands are in the machine, or you're moving products, you know, you're lifting, twisting, bending, or driving a forklift, in movement and logistics. I mean, any businesses that you do, safety is always mm-hmm. number one. Um, and that sets a culture. Uh, you, you, you know, you're, you're, people that you work with, they, they feel that they're valued and they're important and that you, uh, you, you're very careful about their um, uh, safety and health. Number two is you, you can't go anywhere without customers. And in this day and age, in, um, in, in the current economy, service is number one. And lack thereof, it, there's no business for you. So we really try to build relationship with our customers, no matter what, who they are. And uh, we we provide the best service we can, um, so that they get that uh, best class service that they get. And number three is ultimately productivity and understanding our folks. They know their numbers, so that's that's how we do things. And whether I you know run a work for a three billion dollar company, had a PNL of a billion dollars, or a you know small investment with maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 people, the concept, it's always the same. It doesn't really change. It's just tailored for what your business model is, what you want to offer, and you tailor yourself to follow the same guidelines. Well, let's, you know, we hear a lot about employee labor issues. Mm -hmm. So what has your experience been? You know, you talk about surrounding yourself Mm -hmm. with good people. Mm -hmm. Have you had any issues or does it take longer to find those good people? What's your experience been with, with labor? So we, um, uh, knock on wood, I I think we've been very fortunate with that. Um, we do follow a very, uh, a detailed process. So we have um, our admin that actually looks at, uh, does the ads, and then they go through identifying um, from our criteria who are potentially the best candidates. And we look at people that have been around for a long time um, and uh, on the same job. <laughs> so okay. we get a lot of people that they change jobs on a, uh, every year, and that does not, doesn't work with us. It doesn't go with what we're trying to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we go through that process and then we do a, a phone interview and then after the, uh, phone interview, we do a, um, a video sometimes, um, our, uh, we have a, um, I have a great partner who handles all of the, uh, sales and operations and he, he actually does a, uh, video, a zoom interview. And then the last step is we actually take our trainer, uh, with us and uh, that the trainer interviews the candidates and that's how we do the selection. So it's a it's a very detailed process is because we want to make sure whoever comes into the organization, it's going to stay within the organization for a long time. Yeah. And we, we, we say that at the beginning. It's like, hey, this is not a in and out numbers thing. This is we're looking for somebody to be with us for quite a few years. 
So I'm curious, did you develop that process for hiring or is that something that was provided to you by the franchisor? No, that's something from experience. Um, like I mentioned, um, the people that I work with, they're, they're very talented and they're very smart. They've been around. Um, they've operated businesses. Um, they, um, they know the process. So we agree on different steps and and, and we follow that process. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, that's a good question for the next, the segue that um, the next subject is um, you chose to go with a younger franchisor. Yeah. Somebody uh, that hadn't been around for a long, as long as some of the others and McDonald's. had a big brand name, <laughs> right? Like McDonald's or Subway. And there's pros and cons to all of that. So what's one of the reasons that you chose a younger brand um, than something that was more established? So, um, multiple reasons. One is, this is a different times. And what used to work doesn't quite work anymore. So, you got to look for new ideas, innovation, new concepts, value adds, uh, people that are um, finding new concepts or solutions that helps the businesses. Mm -hmm. So, that was one. Um, and, and really more from that perspective. Number two, I think a lot of times, if there's a good concept, um, uh, there's a lot of interest and people actually take a lot of these different locations or, or, or uh, territories or whatever you want to call it. And it's hard to actually find those. Um, and the, the third piece of it was really the concept itself, right? Mm -hmm. The value proposition. It, that's really more important, uh, uh, as important as having the availability of being able to start a business and as well as operating the business. We talk about this a lot, and, and that's one of the things you and I talked about is here in this market, things sell out very quickly. So if somebody wants to operate a location close to their home mm -hmm. or if they want multiple locations relatively close to their home, um, something that's more established, um, sometimes it's difficult. So, mm -hmm. And with all that, once again, pros and cons, right? Uh -huh. So I know that you have um, become a member of the Franchise Advisory Committee, the FAC. Uh -huh. We talked about that. So do you mm -hmm. want to explain what that is um, and the purpose of it? Sure. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned earlier it's a young franchise. Mm -hmm. So there is um, there's a lot of processes are being developed. This is a new concept. Um it, it makes sense. There's a lot of interest, um, and it's growing very fast. Um, so um, there is a lot of things that have to be addressed in the short term and long term from a strategy perspective. What are you looking at? You know, a year, two, three years down the road. What are the challenges today? What kind of a solutions can you provide um, if you plan something today? Then in a year, two, three years from now, things can be a lot smoother, mm -hmm. and you you build a model that scales and it scales uh, quite nicely. Um, and I think that's really the purpose of it: is to identify the challenges of the businesses the owners face, um, and how do you support them, help them to become more successful, uh, short term and long term. And that's what really um, it's designed to do. And really, be the voice for the franchisees. Right. Um, with the franchisor and, right. and, and the other way around, right? That's right. That's yeah. where somebody that is a little bit more entrepreneurial or um, wants to have an impact on a system, somebody can take all of that experience that you have and bring it into a franchise and not feel like they're in a straitjacket and they 
they have no wiggle room, right? Because right, yeah. you do have ability, as you asked, you know, you created your systems for hiring your employees. So you do have some creativity and mm -hmm. some abilities to. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And that could be influential in the long term with the franchisor, to yeah. your point, is they're yeah. trying to uh, build those systems and improve mm -hmm. for their franchisees yeah. as they grow. So. Yeah. We have thoroughly enjoyed having you, Al. Thank you so much for spending time with us. If we have listeners that want to learn more about um, your services and might need your help, how would they get a hold of you? Well, we uh, there's a corporate number that it's um, uh, that they can call. Um, we have a business phone number that is directly tied up to um, our folks, and they answer phones. So um, they can reach that. It's uh, 469-215-1539, or they can call Crusher or website. Uh, there are many different ways they can get a hold of us. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for yeah. sharing that with us. And again, yeah. thank you for joining us. Um, my name again is Sarah Wasco, S-A-R-A-W-A-S-K-O-W. -A -A -S my colleague Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E. We are spelling that so you can look us up on LinkedIn. We're very active on LinkedIn. So please connect with us there. Um, you can find us on our YouTube channel, FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. And you can also download this episode and and all of our others anywhere on any of your podcast platforms, wherever you like to get your podcast. Um, thanks again for joining us. And I hope you all have a great day. Bye. Bye.